Welcome to the Social Feed Podcast. I'm your host, Missy. Thank you for listening. In this episode, we meet with Jana Wilcox to talk about her entire experience at Social Media Week in New York City a few weeks ago. And she dove into, oh my gosh, I have never been to Social Media Week, but I want to go now. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Um, if you haven't heard of Social Media Week, it brings together, you know, marketing professionals, media, technology um, from over 50 countries come to this event and they have over 200 speakers and 100 sessions. And just to give you a little taste of the type of speakers that are there, they had Hope Cohen, who's the director of creative at Facebook. They had a woman named Nina Mishkin, who's the content strategy lead at Twitter. They had uh, the brand marketing manager at Google. And then, of course, Seth Godin, who we all oh, love. Man, he, he can say nothing wrong. He's amazing. So Jana gave us some really great quotes at the end of the episode from him to give you a little inspiration for the rest of your week. So let's get into this week's episode, number 87, what we learned at Social Media Week. So Jana, how was Social Media Week? (laughs) So we'll jump right into this. Yes. Wow. Um, It was amazing. It was so much fun. And uh, at the end of the day, when I really looked back at Social Media Week and what I learned, I think it really just reiterated everything of you know why I'm in this industry and it um, was a great reminder of how awesome it really is and everything that's to come and what's happened and what's changed and social media is pretty cool is it truly a full week or what are like what's the days is it a weekend like what does that mean it's three days so not a full week um (laughs) but three days of it I you know actually they they may have had like some special access to different, you know, things throughout the week, but I was there for three days. And then what did that look like? So how did you kind of figure out what sessions you wanted to go to when yeah, you were playing? Because I, I feel was, like there's so much stuff. That was probably the hardest part being that I traveled solo to it. I didn't have anybody on the team with me to say, okay, you take this one, I'll take this one and let's compare. Um, but uh, so looking at it, I really just went into it um with a couple things in mind, I'm so focused on the sales side of things, but also um, it's really important for me to bring in creativity in everything that I do and talking about upcoming trends to talk to both our internal um, sales teams and then our clients um, throughout the Hubbard markets. So I, I took that into consideration, but it was really, it was, it was kind of tricky to see, but we did have access to the presentations after. Um, so I've been watching those and, you know, reading things. So that was kind of nice. So tell me kind of like what your day was like, like what sessions did you attend? What were the highlights of it? Yeah. So, um, it was literally like nine to five, sometimes sessions went till six. You could really pick and choose which ones you wanted to go to. So I'd get up, I had my, um, app ready to go, like with all my sessions already chosen and, and picked out. Um, so we went from there and I would pop in Some are bigger than others. Some are a little bit more focused. Um, for example, there was one on Facebook groups that was just a small group session that you had to sign up for. And then there's a big lecture one on, you know, video that was a little bit bigger. So um, they they varied in size and speakers, but it was really overall awesome. And there was over 216 speakers I'm seeing on the website here, which is crazy. Wow, um, that's a few. Yeah, just a couple, just a, just a handful. What were some of your favorite speakers that you saw? Yeah, so um, my all-time favorite speaker was Seth Godin. I mean, he was, I, I actually started crying when he was up there because oh. he's so amazing. I like, love him so much. He's just brilliant. And he, everything he said was, uh, it applied to life in and outside of work. And like, why are you speaking to me on every level right now? So he was, of course, amazing. And then I think my favorite ones, aside from that, were the the brand managers that spoke. So there were some really cool ones where, um, like, 
somebody from Inc. Magazine, for example, was up there and she talked about how um, small businesses can still compete and how to just be like literally going back to what social media represents and how social media was supposed to be fun. And that's what it's meant to be. So she was great. Um, like the brand manager for um, now I can't think of the overall name, uh, but like the Cape Cod chips and Milano cookies mm-hmm. and um, goldfish crackers. Like she had some really great ideas and fun things just going back to social media. And again, like what it, what, what social media really about? I mean, we've gotten into this promotional and business side of things, which is really great, but going back to just the fun, engaging pieces, um, just hearing from their perspectives and how they manage their brands was really awesome. And like reading some of these titles of the sessions, I was like, oh my gosh, like how do you use social to find your next big idea and campaign strategy? Um, the el- evolution of creativity, um, personalization in social media is was there certain like snippets that you can share with us from like different sessions that you're like this is something we should be watching out for in the future or this is something we really need to pay attention to right now yeah so um there's a few key takeaways that I took from most sessions I sat in which was really interesting there was a trend throughout so whether it was from an agency standpoint or um just a brand themselves they all had some takeaways which I found really valuable So uh, a big thing was everybody was talking about the next generation. So that Gen Z audience. Mm -hmm. So the biggest thing there and I thought was the most interesting, which they all talked about was that experience ecosystem and how that's such a big trend ahead. Um, No matter what channel you're on on social media, um, it's about kind of that explosion of brands and how can you really be everywhere. So it's interesting. They talked about podcasting. They talked about um, being online. So audio content, in-person events, online partnerships, um, things like smart speakers. And that's really the next big thing is that, uh, especially with e-commerce, like shoptainment and how can you really have that experience ecosystem? And that was really intertwined throughout all sessions. So that was interesting. Okay, um, shoptainment, what, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's where, um, so like we see the trends right now with Instagram, of course, like shoppable content. So everything is just all available to you right through an app. So Instagram, but then also shoptainment, thinking about experiential and the actual events. So having an event in person, and I can't remember specifically the example they used, but there were two brands that partnered. And at the event, it's like you can, uh, it was like a some fashion show where you could shop the content that was in the, you could sh- shop the outfits cool. through Instagram at the moment live, like go on at the moment, like this model's wearing this, go on Instagram right now and shop. It's like stuff like that where it's very experiential. Cool. Shoptainment. So, it, so it's like combining social media and e-commerce and even TV a little bit like with live yeah. video or something like yes. that too. Yeah, exactly. Um, so really, really interesting there. And I think, um, looking at that generation too, a big topic was how we'll see a shift in social media. So, um, the next generation is a lot more interestingly enough private than what we have been. So they're still all on social media. Everyone's on there. Um, but that was a big topic of conversation and kind of, um, humanizing tech. So how we can look at it, like, these are real people. They're people now influencers are starting to make their Instagrams private and you have to pay a fee to enter and like this exclusivity kind of feel. Oh, it's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. So do you think that they'll still be producing like, again, I mean, I love Instagram, so I'm always like posting something, but like, are they going to be producing content like we do or is it going to be more of not as much content, but they're more of like a, 
I was I want to say creeper, but that's not the right word. Like where they creep on social, but they're not right um, producing content. Or I'm just curious how that goes. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really know what my um, just from what I've heard, and I think you shared an article not that long ago, Missy, with us about. Um, how people are just trying to be more organic and natural. It used to be about the filters and these influencers. And it's like now this next generation is all about that authenticity. And that's that huge shift we've seen with the nature of everything that's happened in Facebook in the Mm -hmm. last year and things like that. So these influencers now and um, the Gen Z audience will now be just producing different kinds of content, I think. They'll still be producing it, but it's going to look a little bit different and be more real, I suppose we could say. Um, And I think that that's just really interesting and it's almost like this like we've seen virtual influencers it's almost like a mocking of influencers but they're doing it as like a well if this person can promote it why can't a, a virtual influencer like fake per, like avatar promote person it. be an influencer too so there's this whole culture of I guess I guess it would be like mocking that um I don't know it was it was really interesting that was one um session I sat in and it was like the next trends for social media like top 10 trends um it was a trend forecasting company and it was just so interesting did you guys see the whole drama with virtual influencers recently so Calvin Klein did this whole campaign with um little Michaela I think that's how you say it that influencer Mm -hmm. who's huge on um virtual influencer who I think she has like gosh 5.1 million followers on Instagram and so they partnered her with Bella Hadid and they like virtually put her into the photos with Bella and they had a kissing photo together and people were like because Bella Hadid is not you know um she's straight and so with that there was like all of this backlash like you know you're trying to you know use that to promote your Calvin Klein brand and so Calvin Klein had to like take it down and issue a whole apology to it but it included that virtual influencer in it interesting which I was like this just happened yesterday yeah and it's it's so interesting to me like these influencers it started because people wanted to be like them they're these real people they're you know who can and now we're seeing virtual ones like that's not a real person but they want to promote I don't know I think it's going to be really interesting to watch it unfold in the next couple years Um, but then I mean you mentioned paying a subscription, like making mm-hmm. your account private and mm-hmm. making people pay to see your content. That's that's the opposite of what social media, like going back right. to what you were saying earlier, is right. kind of getting back to the roots of social media for businesses and stuff. That that seems very countercultural as yes. far as social media goes. I mean, yeah. I, I can kind of understand why an influencer would want to do it and control their content. And it's another way for them to make money mm-hmm. ultimately but it's, yeah. it just seems so weird like you're just creating a subscription right service right. for your I know. content exactly my thoughts too like it's so interesting because we go from being organic and authentic to then seeing these shifts in virtual influencers and then paying to you know follow a private influencer so i i don't know i think we're in this weird um i i, I guess like the transition of the end of the millennials to the beginning of the Gen Z coming in now and like how we're going to see it. The Gen Z is ultimately going to be the ones controlling this in all of a sudden before we know it. Mm-hmm. So what is that going to look like? I don't know. What's that site that you can go to? A lot of YouTubers use it where you can set it up and um, put on like buy t-shirts and different... Pa- Patreon? Patreon. Yeah. This kind of reminds me of Patreon where it's like you pay a certain amount of money and you get mm-hmm. these exclusive perks for being part of their community. That's how yeah, I'm kind of picturing right, it. Where it's right. like, hey, I want to be like first access to what this influencer offers when yeah. no one else can have it. I might yeah. pay for that. Yeah. I don't know. Right. <laughs> Pat's like, There's, I wouldn't. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I definitely like the Patreon model. There's a lot of podcasters and YouTubers that, mm-hmm. that use it, but 
for social media content, I'm, I just, I don't get it. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I follow influencers and I'm, you know, I'm in that world as, as somebody mm-hmm. who works at a social media agency, but charging for social media just doesn't, it, it just screams at me like something's wrong. Like right. we, we've hit a point where this is, right. <laughs> this is too much. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's interesting. Like, I don't think influencers are going to go anywhere. I think it's going to change though. And something that like you and I have talked about, Missy, in the past, mm-hmm. like what does influencer marketing look like and what's it going to become? And we've seen just going back to to some of these trends, um, I think a big one that we've all noticed is um, this idea of communities and how so Facebook originally, that's what it was made for. So it was like a college group where you could go on and talk to your communities. And now we're seeing that a lot right now. They're pushing more than ever for groups and communities. So I don't know if it's that mentality of looking at that like private exclusive um community uh but we'll see so that was another big one facebook groups got brought up a lot which facebook groups is not new it's just that they're changing some of the the abilities within it and the capabilities from a business standpoint i think speaking of groups and paying for social media i know this had to have been a year or so ago that facebook was toying around with the idea of paid subscription groups like similar to Patreon, but they were going to do it within Facebook. Like, so you'd have a group for, you know, whatever interest level. And then if you want exclusive content, you would have like a deeper group within that group that you would pay to get into. Was there any talk of that? Is that, has that ever become something? Will it become something? Am I making this all up? That's a possibility. <laughs> I don't think you're making it up. I think it's <laughs> definitely a possibility. We, I sat in one. It was all about how to monetize a Facebook group. And a lot of it was, I mean, right now I haven't seen where people are paying to be in it. But it's definitely gearing up for I can see that being a thing. Like right now, we I, I sat in on just everything. Now there's all these best practices for just managing a Facebook group um, as opposed to just a business page. Which I'm super excited to share with the team. Um, just because it's like there's different triggers you can set up and questions you can answer. And there's a best practice for how many people you should allow in a group and how you should have house rules and who manages that. And it's, it's becoming its own like, Facebook page like where now we'll be managing groups from a client like a mm-hmm. our standpoint um, and I think there's definitely probably going to be something down the road where I feel like payment will be involved I don't know or a possibility well and I know some brands already are doing that as kind of like a workaround where like Create and Cultivate we talked about in a previous podcast they have this thing called the CC Insiders Club and as part of that you get added to their Facebook group and right. so but you have to pay for that membership and I know other places do that where it's like it's like an online course that you take and yeah, you, part of yeah. the course you get access to their exclusive yeah. like Facebook social group media, or something. Yeah. I think it's social media today does that. So for example, yeah. like if you go to their event and you pay for that ticket, then you get entered into this Facebook group. So there's yeah. ways to do it. I think going back to that experiential ecosystem we're talking about of mm-hmm. how to monetize it that way and you're at these events and then now you're tapping in. It's kind of like um, – like blogger bashes we do, like you get invited exclusively to yeah. these events. <laughs> Which we actually started a Facebook group for blogger bash because mm-hmm. we saw a resurgence in those groups. And so we're yeah. trying to kind of yeah. get that ramped up again. Okay, so I want to talk about some of the details of Facebook groups. So how many people should you have in a group? I'm so curious now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Less than 100? <laughs> should we guess, Pat? How many do you think? Well, there's, Oh, man. That's so hard. I'm going to say less than 1,000. Oh, that's what I was going to say. I'm going to say 5,000 then. Okay. So 
I don't have an exact number, but I have a percent. I have a percentage. Oh, okay. Because, yeah, we've started doing Facebook groups for some of our clients who are like the pages that have 800,000 followers that we manage. And the segmented audience is, it's just, it's so hard to create content for that large of a large scale of an audience. So we created these five separate groups that we manage that kind of caters to each of the different areas that they specialize in. And the groups are gone nuts, like, cause you're customizing content for each of them. And that's and been huge. just the way Facebook is prioritizing posts and stuff. Now mm-hmm. we're seeing fewer posts from pages, yeah. but if you're a part of a group that really interests you, you're going to see more of those group posts. I see almost every group post yeah. for the groups that I'm right. in. Oh, totally. Yeah. So, um, at Social Media Week, I sat in with somebody. She was awesome. Um, so she actually does freelance work, but Facebook has chosen her um, specifically to represent them. I can't remember what, but she's in um, a big like cultural group that they have. And so she was invited to Social Media Week to talk about it. She, um, you know, has met Mark Zuckerberg, like their bud. So I'm going to trust her <laughs> what she says about Facebook. Um, she said that you should only allow 10% of people to join the group. So um, if you only accept 10% of the join request, um, it'll keep oh. it more niche and exclusive. And a great way to do that is to ask those questions to oh. determine whether or not they should be accepted. So, so 10%, 10% of the join requests. 10% of people that want to be, a, so not like 10% of the fans on your right. Facebook page or your 10%. Wow. I know. Oh my One gosh. in 10 people. I know. Isn't that crazy? And so that's why she suggested like those questions and setting those up. And then the questions like from a business standpoint, get you information and then you can get these email addresses and build your database that way. And there's a whole gotcha. strategy behind just these questions now. Can you explain the questions a little bit uh-huh. more? Because I think Missy and I know, but some people might yeah, not be familiar yeah, with for sure. what that means. So basically what you can do now, if you have a Facebook group, um, you can require people to answer specific questions related to the group, to the business, to whatever this niche category is. And you can start to get information from them. And then also you can use it as a tool to build email databases. So um, let's just say you, you have three questions somebody has to answer. And then as an admin, you can determine if their answers get them into the group. So a Again, kind of back to that exclusivity feel. It's like an interview. It is. It's, it's like, like getting resumes, and then if the, you like it, then you accept them. Yeah. yeah. Which yeah. could be a whole full-time job in itself right there. It does feel like a test in order to join a group. Like yeah. I joined a couple, you know, audio editing, video editing groups, and they make you answer some questions that make sure you know how to edit video. Mm-hmm. And it's, it, it's weird, but I suppose it's, it's kind of nice knowing that once I'm in, people are going to know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. You're not right. going to get a bunch of basic questions right. that you have to deal with. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's pretty interesting. So Facebook groups was one session. What was another one that you got some good tidbits of information from? Yeah. So um, one I really want to bring up is uh, it started when I sat in um, on a session with Reddit, actually. Cool. And after that, I, again, heard this theme in so many of the sessions that I was in. And it was all about social listening. So with social listening, I mean, there's there's tools out there that you can invest in for social listening. Um, but you can also do it organically. And that was what was so interesting to me is that um, you don't have to have social listening tools you invest in to understand your audience. And I think that's a huge, again, shift. Again, everyone from agency to brand managers to Reddit, we're talking about how crucial it is right now to listen to your audience. And that gets back even in influencers. Like 
yeah, an influencer could have 20,000 followers and they could be talking about this category, but is their audience engaged in that content? And then thinking about from your standpoint, look at the comments, look at the reviews. It goes back to the best practices and basics of Facebook and Instagram. What are people saying about you online? Are you looking at keywords? Are you, you know, under, like listening to what they're saying instead of just focusing on what you're saying? So it's it was a huge topic, um, just all about, you know, listening builds trust. And Reddit is a really interesting example. Um, Reddit, uh, and I don't know people listening, if you guys are on it or not, I'm not someone who's on it um, a ton, but after hearing that, I'm like, oh my gosh, our strategists, we should be looking at Reddit for things and information. And they use this really cool case study um, with Chipotle. And they said, um, Chipotle came to them and said, we, we want to understand all these different diets. So there's, you know, keto diet and there's, you know, I can name all of them. Mm-hmm. So keto is one I just thought about because um, they use that as an example. And so they said, we want to understand. So they went on to Reddit in these specific groups as Chipotle, as the brand, and said, hey, we want to hear from you guys. What can and can't we eat on our menu to understand, like, you know, what, you know, we want to promote that. So they went to all the different um, ways people eat and those different diets and got so many answers. And then they made on their website a whole menu saying, like, paleo and vegan and this is your keto one and all through just social listening and then I was in another session and same thing like they were just showing just back to the basics literally the comments on a section and how to find out and they were like oh wow we found out something really great um as a chip brand how to like what our what our customers want what they're looking for and they changed their content strategy based on that so it's so like it's kind of a no-brainer but I think we forget about it because we're so focused on the content and the messaging that we're doing from a business and brand standpoint that we forget that sometimes the answers are just right there for us organically so social listening was a a huge theme I love that and like with Facebook and just all the social channels they always have these like new shiny objects coming out every other week Mm -hmm. and so it's like Okay, focusing on this ad, new th- new ad thing with ads, p- focusing on this page verification thing. Now I'm focusing on this where it's like, just go back to the content and the comments. Yes. And yeah. yes, it's been there and forever. Interacting with people. Right. Yes, like yeah. that's right. what social is about. And that's like so good to like think back and be like, yes, you're yeah. right. Like go back to it that. It was like, and there were some really fun quotes. I mean, people just, they were all so brilliant up there and they just say things that just resonate with you. Like not fun quotes, but they were just like, okay, don't be in a one-sided relationship. Like, let's think about this. And they talked about how um, everyone, we always used to say, we're data-driven, we're data-driven, we're data-driven. And I heard more than one person say, stop saying that. We are data-informed. And data content used to be king and content is important, but now data is king. Like, we can learn from our audiences. Why are we not looking at the data more in the analytics? And that could mean a comment. That could mean, like, the content people are posting themselves. So it was really, um, really interesting. And then just talking about your competitors and things like that. I think we're so focused on um, the competitor next door. But why don't we look at who are in, who are we inspiring to be? Who is that person that we want to be? And like, look mm-hmm. at them and what they're doing instead of so focused on our next door neighbor. So that was really mm-hmm. interesting too. Um, just looking at things differently in a different, different um, light. And that at the end of the day, and this is back to something Seth said, actually, is that as marketers, I mean, we sell feeling. That's what we're doing. Yep. At the end of the day, we think about the customer journey and the consumer behavior. And that's what we really have to look at is that we're selling feeling. So if we can have our content 
make somebody feel a certain way, then we've done our jobs. So really interesting there. One of my first clients when I started working at Harvard as a social media strategist, um, they we had review management for them. And so one thing I did was I this is something probably super like like archaic, <laughs> but I went to their Google and their Yelp and I copied and pasted all the reviews that they had and I plugged them into a word counter. Um, there's a bunch of free ones online. There's like wordcounttools.com. There's wordcounter.net. I just literally Googled that. Um, but I'd plug them in there and it would show you like the top words that people use in reviews. And so you could see like the positive things people say, the top words they use and the negative. So like one was like, you know, like maybe fast service was like a really positive one. And then it, like, like not clean bathrooms was like a negative one and so those were good things that the client could use then to like here's things you can improve upon and Mm -hmm. it's something so like I don't say stupid but something so simple that it's like just yeah go to your reviews copy and paste and plug in and find out what those words are because that's what your people are saying and talking about right and it's authentic to you it's original like it's Mm -hmm. you're not pulling a quote from google you're pulling something that's real and talks about you and I don't know it's it's again it's so maybe archaic or basic but I think that that's (laughs) the shift we're seeing in social media is we're going back to what it originally stood for and I think Mm -hmm. that's going to be a a huge trend with what we see but as a business you can use even those negative reviews and make a campaign out of it like I mean Domino's is the first one that comes to my mind (laughs) and their horrible pizza that they had years ago and they Mm -hmm. literally created tv campaigns social campaigns around people saying horrible things about their pizza and then they delivered them a brand new delicious pizza. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, you know, within reason, obviously, but there's, there's opportunity there to make that into, don't just take it and make a change and hope people notice. Yeah. (laughs) I think it it goes back to um, fun too. Like what's thumb stopping content. And that was one of my favorite things. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a few, like getting down to the the facts here, but um, 33% more money is spent when something's fun. So, so simple. Like, okay, we're trying to make money. Let's make something fun. Um, 50% of people are more likely to consider something if it's fun. And 73% of people wish that more brands would help them create fun. So again, so simple, but like, let's go back to thumb stopping content. And there's some really cool examples. Um, So the session I sat in uh, about how small businesses can still compete, it was actually Inc. Magazine. And they were... The woman, she was talking about just some examples she's seen. It was so fun because she used some um, examples from Minneapolis too. She's like, I follow some cool accounts like in Minneapolis. And I was like, what? Like, like um, Hubbard Interactive. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Shout totally. out. <laughs> um, but she talked about how, um, again, we're so focused sometimes on thinking like, what's the big idea? She she gave this one example and it wasn't one from Minneapolis, but um, I think it was maybe like New Jersey or something. And it was a bookstore. And they were like, how can we get more engagement? What can we do? And so um, what they did is they took a typewriter and they set it just in the middle of the store. And they started suggesting people to leave a note before they left. So so people started coming to this little bookstore just to type on this typewriter and they used it all as social content. So there's this, people would tag like the store. It's gotten, now it's at like 25,000 followers, this little local bookstore because it's typewriter just so you know thinking physical even I mean we're so focused on the digital side of things what's what's going to think about your business if you're listening and what's unique about your business and think physical what draws people in and what can they share um we used to be so focused on things going viral and I hate that but it's Mm -hmm. thinking literally 
what's physical that people will want to share and, and they can use for social content. So that was a really fun one. Can, um, can we go back for just a second? Can yeah. you explain what a typewriter is? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too is like um, when you guys are talking about like just like the Domino's pizza campaign and stuff like that, like Nebraska, they just revamped their Visit Nebraska campaign. Do you guys know what I'm going to say? Um, their tagline now is Nebraska. It's not for everyone. <laughs> and like they literally that is their whole campaign yeah. and they they use it and they push it and that's awesome. their thing and it is hilarious but you know just taking like some of the comments they've probably right. gotten and making it an entire marketing campaign and it's, it's freaking genius yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that reminds me like another one that um that same woman used as an example um was the irs and how go to their instagram page look the irs has an instagram account so weird no and she was like this up right now she was like this just goes back to like be (laughs) weird she's like it might not work for everyone but who's gonna follow the irs you go to the irs's instagram and it's so random and weird but it's thumb stopping content and they have weird posts like i'm looking at one right now there's like there's hair extensions and they write like Need an extension? Don't pull your hair out. Getting tax filing. (laughs) Yeah, getting tax filing extensions from the IRS is easy and free. And there's like one with figs on it. And it says like, um, they may all do a sweet job, but figuring out. (laughs) It's weird. But for them, it's like, what else are they going to do? This is the weirdest. It's so weird. Funniest. Like like what? Whoever is running their thing. Like when this lady showed it, she's like, I don't know who's running their content, but you guys like you've come up with a way that works for the IRS because who's going to follow the IRS on Instagram? But now it's like funny and like just weird. And it's not. It's literally just like stock images that are bald. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is amazing. Uh, when Jon Snow, like one, one episode, he like forgot his dog in one of the episodes. He, Spoiler but, alert. Oh, sorry. Yeah, if you don't um, <laughs> skip over that part. They said, don't be like Jon Snow and forget something important. Hashtag IRS. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh my gosh. And you know, that that strategy might not work for everyone, but for them, you know what? Like it's, it's fun. It's fun. And it's back to just, I don't know, like so basic, but it's yeah. Think, be weird, be fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, super interesting. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, are there any other sessions that we didn't cover that you're like, oh, this would be a really good tip for people listening to know about? Um, yeah, I mean, there was obviously a lot on video, which Pat's in the room here. This is why his, did we wait till like 28 minutes into this <laughs> podcast to start talking about video? Oh my gosh, I have so much information on video, but really, um, the the big thing, the big takeaway here is that video works. Video is still very relevant. Video is not going anywhere. Hopefully not, right, Pat? I hope not. Um, <laughs> but it, and I, I have you know so many stats and whatever on it. But um, one thing I thought was really interesting from a business standpoint was they broke it down to the types of video. Um, so ones that create leads and one that convert leads. So if you are a business and you're like, what kind of video should I do? I'm trying to think about, you know, like what would work for me? They One session I was in really uh, broke down in different categories and Pat, I'll be interested to, to hear what you think on this. But for creating leads, um, they said, think thought leadership videos, blog teasers, how-tos, interviews, Q&As, announcements, and event recaps. And then for converting those leads, think about company overview videos, editorial, explainer, product demo, testimonials, and backstories. So I think there's also a whole strategy. I mean, we know that video 
works from its visual capabilities and um, again we're selling feeling all the time and video is a great way to do that but also we have to think about our objectives at the end of the day and the goal and I know Pat you you think about this a lot too like what's the call to action Mm -hmm. and yes we can be fun and creative and we just talked about that a minute ago but also I think we have to think like so much so many of the clients I talk to as well they they think they don't think about the the customer's behavior and what they're trying to accomplish at the end of the day and so video can be super super creative but we also have to think about you know creating leads converting leads and what's our goal so that was really interesting too and and he was great um the guy that that spoke he was from um animoto okay and he just he was awesome it was fun and and yeah I think that's something too that again goes going back to basics is so simple like when you are placing like let's say a video on Facebook like after you place it like actually like watch it like watch the full video click on the link go to where that link takes you go to the website try to take whatever action you want the consumer to take if that is a if that's confusing if you get lost Mm -hmm. if, if something's not loading fully enough those are things you need to change because yeah. your same person who's trying to do the same thing is going to have all those same issues. And I think that is just so like, like oh, just place the ad and everyone's going to show up. Like, no, right. like go through the process you yourself so yourself. you can see that. Well, yeah, your video needs to match your web, your website. I mean, so yeah. often we're like, oh, let's do this sweet video campaign with this new slogan or new call to mm-hmm. action that we're doing. But as soon as you go to your website or whatever, yeah. And that doesn't match what we're doing on the video, then there's a right. disconnect. And I'm wondering if I clicked on the right link yeah, or if something totally. set up correctly. Yeah. So if you're going to do something new and great and launch it with a video, make sure it's backed up by the mm-hmm. other stuff that you have. And mm-hmm. just going back to that uh, Gen Z audience, they they love video. I mean, they're on YouTube all the time. We think about um, how they're behaving and also how um, videos now like for even little kids. So whatever the next generation is called after Gen Z, I don't even know. Maybe you guys do. But um, these little kids right now, and after I, it was interesting because I presented some of my findings to our West Palm Beach market. And a lot of um, the the group, they, they have little kids, like two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds. And they said, oh yeah, my kid only watches YouTube videos. Like that's how they consume their content in their shows. And some of these shows now are like 10 minute videos. So now they're making videos even shorter. So if you can't capture the message right then, and I know a show probably is, you're not selling something, but think about that. Those three, four, five-year-olds, they're the next generation. So as we think about how video will change and how we're gonna make it, um, you know, you have to you have to capture that what that goal and what the call to action is right away because that's that's what's coming. I don't so. I don't have any specific stats in front of me, but I have been doing a lot of reading lately on long form video. That mm-hmm. more, you know, five, ten, fifteen, thirty minute video on social media, you know, we always preach short, 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 like mm-hmm. 30, 60 seconds for Facebook videos or whatever. Instagram has to be under sixty, but in the right context, with the right call to action, with the right brand, long form video performs very, very, very well. Mm-hmm. It's it's not that top of the funnel stuff like you were talking yep, about. It's yep. not it's not a lead gen, but it's definitely um, it's definitely a conversion tactic. Like yeah. once you've got somebody in your ecosystem, mm-hmm. a long form video could yeah. be a long form video series that people watch on YouTube or whatever could be 
really yeah, beneficial. I think about Instagram stories like that. So yeah, we think about the funnel, like push-pull marketing and we're pushing people like you'll see on Instagram a short video, but if you're interested enough, you'll click in it and then they're pulling you in and you're watching that long form video. So again, thinking about creating those leads, converting those leads and how does that work? And I agree with you. And I think that's interesting because um, I'm seeing that more and more in like IGTV of you'll see a little snippet of it, but then I'll click into it and all of a sudden I'm watching this 10 minute long video. Mm-hmm. I get sucked into Facebook videos. Like, you know, you click on one and then it starts autoplaying and I'm like, how far into American Idol or the voice do I need to get? You know, like, <laughs> you're, you're like, you start to see those other ones. I know, I know. Ugh, yeah. Two hours later. Okay, yep. here we go. <laughs> but I always go back to Pat. Um, you say this all the time. When someone asks, you know, what's the perfect time? Like, how long should a video be? If it's good content, it doesn't matter. Yeah. And yep. I always say that too. I that's like my that. motto now after you told me that. I'm like, it. you're right. You're so right. It's so true. And that's um, that's what this guy said too. He goes, there's no like formula that a 10 second video is going to be better than a 10 minute video. Think about your audience. Think about the goal. Think about the message, how they're going to engage with it. And you have your perfect time based on that. Like we don't know. But. If, if your video is not good, it's, it's going to be not good for 10 seconds or 10 minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yes. If your video is great, it will be great for 10 seconds yeah. or 10 minutes. Right. So. Right. So true. Um, any words of wisdom to depart us with from this, from your event? Any Seth Godin, you know, oh my quotes or anything yes. you can give us? I love I, him so much. I have a page of notes on my phone <laughs> from him. And I was just like this, this, like typing. Like if you guys saw me right now, I'm doing a weird typing motion <laughs> with my hands. Um, so um, a couple. I'll leave you with a couple from Seth. So he said, um, you know, don't be vulnerable. And I think that's a big thing too. Don't be afraid. Go take action right away and again it's so basic back to things but um you know what you need to start to say like I don't have time to be afraid because I'm too busy being creative um making numbers go up does not mean it's worth measuring um explore the edges so brainstorm you know things wouldn't be created if they weren't you didn't didn't go for it um so Also, going back to the consumer and how we behave, um, he used the example of Fancy Feast for cats. Fancy Feast is not for cats. It's for people. It's how it makes them feel. It's how the owner feels that they buy their cat Fancy Feast. A cat doesn't care. They want to eat a dead mouse. They don't give a crap that it's Fancy Feast. But so we have to think about that. How do people respond? And when we're selling our business, our product, our service, how is it making that person feel at the end of the day? So good. Um, Thanks, stop. Seth. How are you so bad? Preach, I'm Seth. Preach. You. Oh my gosh. Um, stop interrupting people. It's not working. Um, again, we sell feeling. Um, and then stop chasing the masses. Seek the smallest viable audience. So we used to look at the marketing, that big like graph where we should be, you know, reaching the masses. But no, now, and this goes back to communities and Facebook groups and these niche audiences and influencers, these categories. Um, the best kind of marketing will be with that small viable audience. We used to try to think masses and how many page likes can we get and let's explore all no. Like if we're going to convert people into customers in the best leads, we have to think small niche. How can we think smart? So think, um, seek the smallest viable audience. Those are just a couple Seth quotes. Um, again, Ooh, I have like, I a, love it. I have like 10 pages of notes on him and I was trying to concentrate, but I was like, this is all too good. Like I just can't. So yeah. Um, all the links we talked about from, you know, the social media week, the speakers, the sessions. So if you want to check those out, um, will be in the show notes at socialmediapodcast.com slash EP87. Thank you so much, Jaina, for being on. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. If you want to, we start a Facebook group, which we talked about in this episode yeah. today. 
Woo! Um, if it's you go, free. You don't have to pay to be in our Facebook group. <laughs> it's free right now. You don't have to answer any questions yet. <laughs> but join now so that you don't have to in the future. There you go. Um, you can go to Facebook and search for Social Feed Podcast and check us out. Yep. Give us advice on episodes. Give us some feedback. We want to hear from our audience. Thank you for listening and we'll be back next week. The Social Feed is a production of Hubbard Interactive with music provided by Minneapolis-based artist John Atwell.